Let's start with some tough love, all right? You two suck. Say my name. That's what the kids call Prissy guy with the mustache. You're listening to Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. Brought to you by the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. For all your favorite characters from the Gillivers, shop the Royal Bobbles Collection at Bobbleheads.com. Also brought to you by Rode Microphones, the official microphone supplier of Inside the Gillivers. See their entire lineup today at Rode.com. Now, please welcome your host, Eric Broadbent. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for Season 2, Episode 16 of Inside the Gillivers, talking all things Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul. My name is Eric Broadbent, and it comes with great pleasure to welcome this evening's guest. You know him as Old Joe from both uh, Breaking Bad and El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, veteran actor Larry Hank. And Larry, we finally got you here. How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still alive. (laughs) All right. Another day above ground. That's good. So far, so far. Okay. Okay. So far. Okay. Well, that's good. You're looking good. You don't look a day over 35. Cool. You're looking good. How's things? You're working on it. You know, you're looking good. It's nice to have you here. And, uh, we finally got this worked out. We have to tell our fans, I, I think you had a loaner computer or something. Your computer was in the shop or something a few weeks back. Is that what it was? Oh yeah. Um, everything went, went down. (laughs) Everything. Uh, I don't think it was my computer, but all the hookups and the, the, um, uh, exterior hard drives and yeah, I had to take it in. I was down. Well, it was kind of a a cool thing. I I was off the internet Mm -hmm. for three days and what a vacation that was. (laughs) You have no idea what it's like to be off the internet. It's great, and I'm going to do more of it. Uh, I am not a fan of the internet, so no. I've spoken my piece. Well, you know what? It, as much as it, for someone like myself who does this for a living as well, too, it can be nice to have a break and be completely unplugged. You know, like sometimes, you know, the in our small town, as I was telling you off the air, we lose our power here sometimes. It's, it's like a windstorm and the power goes out. Sometimes it's not so bad. You know, the family's like, okay, I can't get on the internet. But it's nice to just kind of unplug a little bit sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been off internet since there was an internet. That's and, right. And it's just getting worse and worse. So finally, I'm, I mean, it was a pleasure. I could go out and stay out and... Uh, uh, yeah, I I, did, I couldn't answer any emails or get any emails or read any emails. Yeah. It was amazing. It is nice. You can just kind of breathe. That's why I used to like to go to the golf course. Whenever I'd go to the golf course, I would always leave my phone at home. And I was always hoping some of the yes. guys I'd play with would please leave your phone, either in a car or something. So just go have some fun and not be connected, you know? Distractions. Um, I bought a new, uh, I had to get a new phone also. I think that was part of it. It was just... A mess, but I got an, uh, a a new iPhone. But uh, now there's something wrong with it. It wasn't <laughs> set up right, so it doesn't ring. Oh, geez. So, uh, yeah, so I don't get phone calls. In other words, I get them, but yeah, you don't, I don't hear, them. hear them. So I, I, I don't. I'm not in the habit of checking my phone every five minutes. Yeah, right? I just do that. I answer it, you know, when it rings. But since it doesn't ring, I don't look at it. I don't. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, maybe I'll be curious and I'll look at the time and I go, holy cow, I've got five phone calls again. Again. Yeah. On top of you. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not married to my phone. I'm not married to the internet. And I'm really, 
plus I got PTSD from being sequestered for a year. Yeah. Uh, so all of that into one ball and uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm triggered. <laughs> so anything will set me off. Like uh, I don't want to be on the internet or I don't want to be in my phone. And, and so what I do to, to alleviate the PTSD uh, is I just ignore everything. And it's really nice. It's like 1945. It's like 1966. It's <laughs> cool. I have a memory of 1967. Okay. And I remember there wasn't any of this bullshit. And it was cool. I was fine. I was happy. I was calm. I was born in 68. So yeah, good times. Good times. Nice. I, I, I got to share this with some of our viewers that are watching right now to show you, to, to share with you how frustrating it was for you a couple of weeks back. So we're trying, I sent Larry the, uh, the link for zoom. We're on zoom here tonight. And so I sent it to him by email and every time Larry would click the email, um, it would crash the program. So he just couldn't get the zoom link. So we're trying to think, how can we get this link to, to Larry? So I said, it was Larry and I are friends on Facebook. So I said, Larry, I'll send you the link on Facebook. And then you couldn't get into Facebook. And you know you know how when people go to re reset their password, you have a recovery option. It'll send you either to an email address or to a phone number. Well, for Larry, it was only email address and email address. And both email addresses were ones you don't even have anymore. So we were like chasing our tails for 45 minutes and getting nowhere. The internet. I know. That's all I can say, digital and the internet. That's my answer to everything. It's the answer to all my problems. Yeah. And the cause of all your problems. I, I have this secret fantasy that if the internet and digital disappeared, I would be much better off for it. Now, I know that's not true. I know this because you get letters. Hey, what is he talking about? Yeah. No, I know that's not true. It's just a fantasy. You know, it's just yep. a fantasy. Well, just last week, same same thing last week, we had uh, Stephen uh, Casada uh, on the show from Breaking Bad, obviously, and, and Better Call Saul. And before the show, we did tests. Everything was absolutely perfect. Internet, the, all the internet gods were on our side. And then we're ready to go live, ready to smile and wave, and we go live, and the connection just dropped right out. Now, that night was a, bad, it was a YouTube night. It was YouTube's fault, but still, it's just you're at the mercy of this technology. And, you know, long story short, unplug once in a while. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's a good uh, thing. Unplug once in a while. That's a good, uh, poster or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, well, I could go, I could go on and on. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be all kinds of technology we'll be talking about throughout the evening, but there's some questions coming in already. Here's one from Zoko, uh, says, Larry, uh, how are you, how are you approach coming back or how did you approach coming back for El Camino? And were there any memorable moments on set working for Aaron again? Yeah, well, okay. I, I the, the tie-in, okay, is dyslexia. That's the, that's that's the, the, the tie-in. Um, yeah, my complaints about the internet is not only based on everything I've said, and I want to repeat it, but I am also uh, dyslexic. Okay. And uh, so linear information uh, or printed information uh, is very hard for me to... Uh, it discombobulates me. I sometimes get it wrong. And one of the things about the internet is it gives you instructions and tap here, or link that. And that just boggles my particular personal mind because of the dyslexia. So that also adds to, to my ranting about it. You know, it's just my, me and my mind. The other th thing about dyslexia uh, going to Vince Gilligan is that's what I remember most because 
I am dyslexic and Vince loves to write. So, and he writes great stuff and uh, it makes it a little easier for me to memorize because it's so good. But when I did uh, old uh, Joe in in the uh, episode on TV and in the movie, Yep. He, uh, he wrote me, he liked me. He liked the character. He liked the way I did it. So he would write me extra words, extra lines. Uh, he write me monologues, which uh, is cool if he gives it to me in time. In other words, over you know, if, you get, if I have a week before I have to go and and do do the sh- the shoot, mm-hmm. then I can memorize it. But one time he just had somebody, uh, one of the writers, write me a, a monologue, a full page monologue of Old Joe. It was a uh, during the um, uh, the magnet scene? Winnebago, Winnebago, when I was keeping this cop out of the Winnebago. Yes. So he wrote me a big, long speech, or, or a writer did. And But when I showed up to do the shoot, when you go into the uh, your dressing room, there's your little book of words that you have to say. Always waiting. It's any movie or any TV show, it's always the same. There's a little book on your dresser. On, on your so I come in and there's this monologue <laughs> page. I go, who wrote? You know, oh Vince Gilligan liked you, so he wrote. No man, I need a week. How long do I have? Two hours. Oh geez. No. So I, I just really flipped out. It was really weird. So I improvised it. It didn't turn out well. But they covered it magnificently. Okay. I mean, they used my improvisation to basically use it as a voiceover. Uh, so in that Winnebago scene, when I'm keeping the cop out of the Winnebago, because, uh, you know, Aaron and uh, and uh, Brian are in there. Uh, I, I It was all me. That, that, that scene was supposedly all me doing my monologue. Mm-hmm. But I improvised the monologue. And they just used portions of the monologue to do a, a voiceover because... Luckily, I got the gist of it. Okay, good. So, you know, but it was interesting because I wanted to see what they would do with my improvisation. You know, because uh, and and they didn't they didn't do the the director didn't say anything because yeah I they mean, don't I use the improv. That I was going to improvise it, so he assumed I you know I had it memorized, and he said, "You ready, Larry?" And I said, "Yeah, let's go," and I improvised the whole page, <laughs> and he didn't say anything. He said, "Okay, let's just do it once more." So I thought, wow, I had memorized it. No, I didn't. No. But he didn't say anything. He just, he said, let's do it once more. And he improvised it again. And he didn't say anything. He said, okay, that's a wrap for Larry. You know, cool, great, thank you. And uh, they drove me away. So I had no way to ask him what the hell just went on. <laughs> uh, so I had to wait two weeks for the show to come on the air to, to see what I did. And I had several friends watch it to make sure that I could test, you know, what did you see? What, mm-hmm. you know? And I watched it and sure enough, I, I clocked it because I watched it a couple of times because of that scene. I was actually on in that scene for exactly nine seconds. That's it? It was, what what he did was he, t- I, 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 all the, I got to give the props to the director because as soon as I said the second line, I had the first line memorized. Mm-hmm cool but as soon as i went blah 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 and then the second line and i was into the improv he he knew that this guy doesn't have it down. <laughs> he's, this is, he's making this stuff up 
And but he didn't say anything. And he just said, let's do it again. And I improvised the same thing. Didn't say a word. He said, go home. But what he knew was because I figured it out after I watched it. He knew that I had the gist of it. And if I could do it again, improv, improvise it again, I probably could hit the holes that I left the first sure, time. Sure. Which I did. And he knew. So he, and as soon as he said, OK, that's a wrap for Larry. I, uh, I had figured out later that he because he walked next to me the second time he did it. The only thing is that he walked next to me. Well, oh. I, I knew that he said, no, I'm going to walk next to you. Do you mind? He said to me, but he had his face in the book. I could see him. He was right over here because he said, where am I off camera? Where am I out of the shot? Mm -hmm. And it was just, a, you know, one of these things. Yep. So he, he said, you know, so he's walking over here and he had the book and his head was buried. His face was buried in the words. And I was going, you know, I was just making it up, making it up, making it up. And he just kept his. And then at the end, he said, okay, Larry's wrapped. And I figured out what he was doing the second time was he was checking for the holes. Did I cover what I didn't cover the first time? And he said I could go because I had done it. And when I listened to the TV show, the, the, the episode, yeah, it was, I was talking, but it was all edited together as a voiceover. And he, he would stay on the cop and Aaron and the, and Brian. Yep. And he cut to me whenever I hit a cogent word or sentence, you know, that fit what was written. Mm -hmm. uh, but I only, he only did it three times and it was only one sentence. So it was like nine seconds. <laughs> so, but nobody knew that. I, I, I talked to my friends. I said, what did you see? Oh, you were walking and talking and the cop was there and they were inside there. I said, no, that's not what, you, you think you saw it. Yeah, you remember, you're thinking it because you're, you're, you're hearing your voice. Movies are magic, man. Editing is just incredible. And I asked three other friends, and they all said the same thing. Oh, yeah, you were walking and talking, and they were there, and they were there. You know, I said, you didn't see that I was only on nine seconds. You didn't see that. No, you were just walking all the time. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You go back and watch it, and then they're like, oh, my goodness, I was wrong. Yeah. Well, then I told them what happened. They, they looked at it again when it, when it came on again. Oh, yeah, that was really clever. So the tie-in, you actually asked me about the El Camino. Yeah. So, so the tie-in was that Vince hadn't written that. Uh, basically, the director had written it. So that's why he was so knowing about where the holes were. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when I went to, Vince again wrote me a speech for the, for the movie. Right. For old Joe. And... Uh, so, yeah, it happened again where, where I because I, I had walked I had to walk around the car. I had to walk and talk around the car. Vince always writes me walking and talking. Oh, Joe. <laughs> OK. I don't talk to anybody. Yeah. I walk and talk. So uh, basically monologues. Old Joe was monologues, mm -hmm. two, two very long monologues. But I was walking around the car, checking it, you know, to see if there was a, you know, a cop thing on it, you know. A siren or whatever they call it. Mm -hmm. um, so, but this time it was Vince who was the director. And uh, I don't know, he, he didn't want to fool around. So what he did was when he saw that I was starting to go up on my line lines, what he did, he it was so clever and he's so cool and so knowing. He's a great director. What he said was, he said, um, okay, everybody take a break. I want to talk to my, uh, my cameraman. 
Can I have all the cameramen and TV village? So the cinematographer, no, so it was just, he said, I want to talk to the cinematographer. Uh, so he got the cinematographer and they were watching rushes. They actually were. They were in the TV village watching. But he left and he said to me, he said, uh, all right, just go over your lines, Larry. You know, I mean, he didn't say, hey, you're fucking up. He just said, go over your lines, Larry. Walk around the car, go over your lines. Uh, I got to talk to my cinematographer. So he made it okay for me, you mm-hmm. know. He, really cool. Okay, so he goes over there. But the cameraman, there was three cameramen for my walk and talk. I said, who are the ca- Well, I, I know that one camera's on me, you know, and there's uh, the other guys there. Mm-hmm. So what are the other two cameras for? Because they weren't pointing to the other guys. And Vince said, no, they're all on you. You're just going to be walking around and we're going to edit it together. But, you know, one was a moving camera. One was a stationary camera. And one, I guess, was I don't know what the other one was. But he said, they're all three on you. But he said, you you walk around and rehearse. I got to talk to my cinematographer. So I walked around. I kept on walking around and walking around. Everybody's just watching me. Just, you know, what is this actor doing? Nobody's, you know. But this, but the cameramen were watching me, and all of a sudden they got on their cameras. This is just me rehearsing, just walking around, and they started to follow me. So they were rehearsing. Uh-huh. So that was like a cool thing. And then something that's never happened before, because they're not allowed to direct or talk to the actors, the cameramen, mm-hmm. cinematographer, yeah, director, yeah, but they're. They got their thing to do. I got my thing to do. But when Vince wasn't around, he was still talking to the cinematographer. So they would get off their cameras. You know, they were all on dollies and wheels and stuff. They would get off and they would, one of them would come up to me and say, hey, when you pass right by here, you know, I had this thing in my hand. It was checking the, the yeah, car. The, the, the low jack for lift, checking it. Lift, the hand, lift your hand up to here because as you're passing by here, I'm going in for a close up. So I can't see it. So lift it up. You know, he would whisper to me, then he run back to the camera. So I would put that into my walking around. Yeah. Then another camera would come up. He said, well, when you pass by here, just kind of look up a little because I'm like dollying by and I think I'm going to get a great shot. So by the time Vince came out and said, you know, you ready, Larry? And I said, yeah, let's do it. These guys had already, you know, like they were locked in. Yeah. So when they, when they did it, it looked great. I, but I think so that that was cool. That that was my story about Vince Gilligan to mm-hmm. you when you asked me. But when I watched the show, because I wanted to see, you know, how that turned out, mm-hmm. um, it was really very simple. Um, he stuck with it was one camera. He he only he kept one camera all the way around as far as I I don't remember, remember double shots, no, multiple shots, multiple angles. Uh, no. He had multiple shots, but he only kept that on. So, I mean, there was a, so it was a walk and talk. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there was no cutting back and forth. No. So that was, but it's kind of cool because it was a good shot. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he was using it. But, but uh, the, in the editing room is where the magic happens. And, and this is what I learned about making movies for, for all you actors out there or, or wannabe actors. Um, if you're doing a movie, not a sitcom or not television, but if you're doing a movie, any kind of movie, if there's a single camera, you can't be bad because if you're bad, they won't use the shot. It's not like they're going to leave it in and yeah. like be lousy. Yeah. No. So you're, you know, and the worst that could happen is you they cut you out. What well, what they do is they have you talking, but they're the camera is on somebody else listening. Yes. 
<laughs> but you know, you can't unless you see the person. I mean, this is what I picked up, and I, I think it's true. If you see the person and you see them talking and they're acting not realistically, then you're not doing a good job. You're not gonna. They're not gonna use your thing. You're not gonna use your shot. But if they take away your acting, the visual, and they just have your voice, it sounds fine. It mm. sounds. It's the visual that becomes the reality. So what they would do, and I've had this done, and it wasn't because I forgot my lines. It was just because they wanted to cut to somebody else. But I was talking, and they cut to the star. So I, it was an important line. Mm-hmm. It had something to do with the star. So I said, you know, like, why did you kill him? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I say, but it was the, my voice saying, why did, but it's on the star, the guy who killed him. You know? Yeah. Why did you know? So I, you know, it's a. I look at all acting as a, as a teaching mechanism. Sure, I go there to learn. I, I don't. I don't think I'm finished. You know. Oh, I got this. You know, I got this down, man. I I, I go in and say I'm going to learn something today. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, always learning for sure. Well, I, I I love the fact too that it was the the a single a single shot that followed you around the El Camino there because it did give an uneasy feeling like that's going to beep at any minute. You know what I mean? The low jack's going to go off. Well, maybe the, you know the tension. I mean, uh, the psychological stuff as a director, I'm not. I don't have a. I don't have a grasp on it yet. I don't have to handle. So I'm not a director yet. Yeah. But yeah. That is true. Yeah. Uh, a lot has to do with the psychology of why it's here. Mm-hmm. They want you to feel. And Vince is a master at that. Was I imagine it was a nice feeling to get the call to you're going to be part of another another Vince Gilligan project. Oh yeah. I mean, are you kidding? Uh, as we all worship the guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the you know he's the best. One of the best. Yeah. I, mean, I, I work with a lot of well. I was going to say I work with a lot of great directors. No, I haven't. But I've worked with three or, or maybe four, and he's one of them. Nice. And they all are the same. They're really great. You can't second guess them. They know what they're doing, and they do it well. Yeah. You know, in person, on the set, they're your friend. They that- really are. The great directors are good, you know, solid directors they they get a good performance out of you i mean there's there's something to be said for directors directing actors yeah well i think it's nice too the fact that you shared with us that you were able to improv on breaking bad because for the most part we've we've talked to a lot of the cast uh from all the shows uh including um uh el camino as well too the movie there's not a lot of ad lib there's no it's great strict by the script he writes too well yeah to to offer that no, I mean, if I could have memorized it in time, yeah. I only had two hours, but but I did get the gist of it. I mean, his writing, you know, said this is, you know, kind of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I did understand that. No, it, good, yeah, good writers write good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a cliche person. I like, I like, I believe in a lot of cliches, and I think the cliche things happen for a reason would apply in this situation. You know, you could have memorized it. It could have given a different performance, better or worse, but, um, you know, well, it was really relaxed and yeah. really because I was improvising. You know, yeah. I, I didn't have to, the only thing I was thinking of was don't say any us or ums, mm-hmm. you know, don't just keep your mouth going. Yeah. That was the only other thought I had, but in, you know, if I had difficulty, then I would you know what's the next word. What's the next yeah. word? Yeah. You, know, you either know it or you don't. Yep. I you mean, can- there's no fooling the camera. You can't fool a camera. 
if you would have given those guys too much of a pause, you know, on the ad lipping, if you would have paused too much, they would have stopped you. Yeah, they would have known or, or, or whatever, or I, I just didn't want to do it. No, nope, you did the right thing. No, you did for sure. And your performance was great. And we're, we're going to talk oh, that. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, cause uh, there was another scene. I, in other words, I think in that show, uh, the walk around, the, yeah. the walk and the talk. Yeah, yeah. There was another scene in that episode. I was, uh, so the other scene I nailed, it was great. I, I watched that one. It was where I was inside talking to Brian. Okay. That I had, I had memorized cause I had enough time to memorize it. But when I came out after that scene, uh, Brian came over to me and said, you know, nice job uh, and when i watched it, it because i was real that mm-hmm. that's the only thing i i count uh, are you real that's all yeah and i was real and you nailed it well that's a f- we're going to talk about that episode throughout the program if we have time as well too a couple other things about but that's become a fan favorite uh, for a lot of reasons um well, what, what's a fan favorite with the episode in breaking bad where that where they're going to destroy the uh, the rv oh, the Winnebago? yeah right oh, and cool. and you had a lot to Great do with that me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like when you're talking to when, when Joe's talking to Hank, he's like, well, did you see this vehicle drive in? How do you know it drives? How do you know it's not a stationary, a domicile home? Right. Um, he, who says that? Was that Joe? My, Joe was saying that. Yeah. To, to Hank. Oh, uh, oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll remember what I did, but I don't remember what other people. Yeah, no, you were you were saying basically now because because Hank is Hank the cop, Hank Schrader, the DE agent. He you know he's trying to get inside that vehicle, and Joe is basically convincing. How do you know it's a running vehicle? It's a stationary oh, vehicle. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah. So it was incredible. And and the second thing that becomes a fan favorite in that episode was the writers always talk about being painted into corners. Yeah, and right. they, they don't know, they get themselves into something and then how do we get ourselves out of it? And there was like probably upwards of a dozen different outcomes how uh, Walt and Jesse were going to get out of the RV. Were they going to dig a tunnel under the bottom? You know, what were, <laughs> you know, all kinds of different things. And it turned out to be a phone call, you know, a, a crank call saying that uh, Marie was in trouble at the hospital, Hank's wife, and uh, Hank took off, gave him a time to get out. Right, and then, right, right. Well, uh, I, w- I don't know if I talked to Vince in... in- in person or maybe i don't know i read an, an interview where he's yeah he spoke about uh, about about and they do it on purpose about writing themselves into a corner he said uh, sometimes they do that on purpose because you have to come up with something really original mm-hmm. to get out of the corner and that's what they're going for the originality the uh where the audience can't figure it out that's right and they always have to stay ahead of you you got to stay ahead of the audience and the audience is pretty sharp especially for that show i know the audience is really a sharp bunch of guys and girls they are there's i i learn some things every week from uh, not only my guests like yourself but from the the people watching and the chat our live chat we have here i learned so many things that i didn't know so it's great to learn and share but we got more questions coming in some great questions and comments here's a comment from michelle uh says uh, michelle loves uh, the art your art and zoko wants to see the art and said it reminded uh, him uh, my son is a, an art aspiring artist as well too and karina is also mentioning that you can buy your art on t-shirts so the last i'm gonna put yeah. the big camera Right. Talk about your art a bit. Paintings. I painted these. That's uh, uh, a hood in a hood in the hood. That's the name of that one. I like that. Yeah. And, and that one, uh, I don't have a name for it, but it's just don't say anything or shut up. I don't know. 
just, you know, an idiot telling you to keep quiet. I like it. I love it. And we're, Uh, but I got like 40 of them and they're all on t-shirts too. Uh, I just, I just sold one today. I sold that one today. Oh, fantastic. No, you have to ship that. Uh, yeah, we should, well, he didn't get the, the, the best idea if you're buying paintings and stuff or one of mine is don't get it framed, get it rolled up to ship a frame. I think UPS won't take framed paintings. Okay. A frame because it breaks. Right. And they know it and they can't deal with the insurance. So what they do is, uh, all the people I tell them when they buy my paintings, to get it rolled up and then they just put it in that tube and it's fine. Makes much more sense. I'm glad you suggested that because my wife and I, Sandra here, we have, we have some um, old paintings and I'm some of some, I'm not saying how collectible they are. I'm not saying they're worth the thousands and thousands of dollars, but some of them have some value. And we were thinking the same thing. Like, and they they do come with some nice frames, like some old, we're talking like something you see in your grandma's place, you know, yeah. those kind of old frames. And if maybe if the frames can be kept and we just send the artwork in a tube, maybe maybe that's our way to go. Uh, well, oh, it's definitely the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. Then. Well, thank you for the tip. Yeah, I, I don't, because what I was telling, uh, and even the framer, you know, the guys who, who actually makes these things, mm-hmm. uh, the prints, they're not paintings, they're prints. Uh, he said that um, uh, what he tells his other customers is ship it, by rolling it up and sending it in a tube and then have them at the point of delivery go to their own framer because it not only won't it break, but you can pick your own frame and it's a lot cheaper than paying the price of, you know, shipping. And exactly. Shipping. Yeah. Though that makes it not break. Yeah, yeah, the, the the couriers like your FedEx and your UPS and people like that, they don't want the the hassles of the insurance. And so, I mean, you'd have to pay the insurance if you're shipping a frame, but still, you know it's going to get broke, right? Well, they were, they were talking about the glass. Yeah, yeah, and the if glass. If the glass breaks, it may rip the painting. Yep. That's that's the whole. That's right. That's you should sh- ship it in a in a tube. Yeah, it makes total sense. Here is a question from Zoko Santos. Uh, this is a Home Alone question. Uh, on Home Alone, how fun was it playing Officer Balzac? That was a great, <laughs> that's a great role. The donuts or anything. Did you experience some well, good moments with Macaulay Culkin? Um, I didn't have any scenes with anybody. That was it. That's uh, it. I, that was the, to pay off a debt. Okay. Uh, that they owed me. Um, I was going to play, uh, uh, who's... The, the, the guy who was Joe Pesci and uh, the, the other actor who was with Joe Pesci. Daniel Stern, is it? Daniel Stern. Yeah. Daniel Stern w- was hired and Joe Pesci was hired. And they were shooting the movie. They, they shot for two or three days. And I get a call from my agent saying, hey, uh, what are you doing right, right now? I said, nothing. He said, well, look, here's what's going on. Daniel Stern, they're shooting the movie. Daniel Stern uh, has asked for more money and they've already shot the movie. Uh, So he's, uh, you know, sitting down, you know, I'm not going to work unless you give me more money. Mm -hmm. And they're up against the wall. So they called my agent and said, the producers, and they said, Larry's worked for John Hughes before and John Hughes likes Larry so if we have to get rid of David because uh, Daniel, because of uh, he's asking for more money and uh, we don't want to pay him more money. 
that's that's it. So uh, John Hughes suggested get Larry Hankin to replace Daniel Stern. And so that's what my agent told me. So you're going to replace Daniel Stern. I go, wow, man, are you kidding? That's incredible. He said, but you have to replace him tomorrow morning. There are negotiations with him right now as we're on the phone. They're talking to Daniel Stern and his manager. And if Daniel Stern won't budge, they're going to fire him. So that's going to happen in an hour, whatever happens on that phone call. If Daniel Stern, you know, caves, uh, you don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Daniel Stern, Daniel Stern um, yeah. He caved a bit. If he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to, if he gets out of the, you're, you're in. Gotcha. But you have to start tomorrow morning. So he was telling me, pack your bags, leave. This is the exact quote. Pack your bags, leave it, or pack a bag, leave it behind the couch, and you may have to take a first-class plane flight uh, in about three hours. So I I didn't know why he said to put my bag behind the couch. That was the only thing I heard. Yeah. Why did I put my bag behind the couch? I know the other part. Okay, so he said, sit by the phone, and in an hour we'll call you back and we'll let you know what's going on. So I sat by my phone. I put it behind the couch. You know, I'm, I want the job. <laughs> I put it behind the couch and I sat by my phone for an hour. And sure enough, uh, he calls me and he said, okay, Daniel Stern caved. You don't have a job. There are other jobs out there, Larry. Good luck. And he hung up. Oh, no. So I was really PO'd. Uh, but, you know, hey, that's show business. That is acting. That, that, you know, part of the game. So I forgot about it for about two or three days after two or three days. And then I get a call from my manager, my agent, and he said, hey, guess what? No, I don't want to guess what, what? He said, they called again. The producers called again. And they think that there's a curse on Home Alone, on the movie. He said, whatever the reason is, and whatever the curse is, they didn't say, but they said, they think it's because they jerked around Larry. They, they jerked me around. Wow. With the, you know, hey, wait by the phone, pack your bags. You're going to fly first class, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so they feel very, very bad. And they feel that you're the, what they did to you is the cause mm-hmm. of it. And they got to make it up to you. So they want you in the movie to just prove to whatever gods. I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is not. <laughs> that whatever gods are cursing the movie will be called off if you're in the movie. But they say, he says, there's, um, there's nobody else. Uh, no, what, what do you say? There's uh, there's no other parts in the movie. All the parts are cast and they can't fire somebody just to hire you for a little part. Uh, they, they can't fire a big star. So they have to create a role. So they can, yeah. They, they can't fire anybody, but so there's only one part left that they want to give you. And it's only two lines, uh, but they must have you in the movie. That was that was the thing. That's my my agent was saying. They must have you in the movie to get the curse off, which was so bizarre. I've never heard that kind of talk. Okay, so he said. So here's what they're willing to do because they want you in the movie. They think it's important. They will fly you first class, but uh, pick you up with a limo. Fly you first class, pick you up with a limo, deliver you to the studio in the limo. Have you will be the first shot of the day because um, you're flying tonight. Uh, 
You will be the first shot of the day. They will have everything set up, your costume ready. You'll be the first shot. It will take you exactly two hours. They can limo you back to the airport, first class, back to L.A., limo to your home. You will eat dinner and sleep in your own bed the same day. Will you do that? And they will pay you $10,000 to do it. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I didn't even think. Yeah. Yes. Let's do this. You had me at dinner. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that's the story of that little thing. And that's the pay. In other words, they owed me that. That was, uh, and when I did it, oh, so then they called me to verify it. The producers actually called me and said, so you're, you're in, you're doing this. We're so happy, you know, but you have to, you have to get a, on a plane in an hour and a half, you know, so get to LA airport, you know, pack your stuff and get there. So I'm on the phone to them and they said, oh, uh, by the way, Larry, do you want any kind of props at all? I mean, it's open to you, you know, we need you. There's a curse on the movie. So you want a prop, whatever you want, you know, name something, we'll give it to you. Uh, just for the scene. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking, what, what do I want? I want, oh, uh, I want one glazed donut. So he said, really? Okay, fine. Uh, and, that, and that was it. Okay. So the limo, the airplane, the first class, the limo bear, and they're waiting for me. There's a guy outside at the curb. Larry, come on. We got you. Rushed me in. Here's your costume into the, okay. And come back here. They got the setup and everything actress is in the other actress rose is in the i come back out and right next to the camera is you know those bakers rolling trays that have trays and trays and trays yes put like 250 breads on them yep, yep. well right next to the camera was a rolling baker's tray full of glazed donuts 250 glazed donuts oh man and i go what the hell is this? <laughs> I, one. I just wanted one. And he says, well, Larry, we may have to do a second take. Oh, wow. <laughs> so did everyone have a party with donuts? Said, this is amazing. Okay. So we do a one take. I eat, I eat the donut, but I do my lines. And the dolly goes off. Uh, the camera goes off the dolly in the middle of the shot. Okay. We got to do it again. Second take. See, Larry, I told you. Okay. Another glazed donut. Okay. Um, the second, the second take, a light blew up right above, and they had these big, huge movie lights above. So the place was showered with broken glass. It, you know, exploded. Oh, sure. Again. Boom. So, th so that we had to take a break to clean up all the glass and everything like that. I did that take, that one little thing. Hey, Rose, hyper on two. All right, you want me to go to your house and check on your kid? Rose, hyper on two. That. I did that 11 times and 11 times and it wasn't my fault any of the times it was something mechanical the camera jiggled the lens was out of focus the the light blue the jig 11 times i had to eat 11 donuts so on the 11th time and the 11th donut well about the the about the 10th of the ninth donut i started to think and everybody started to think wait a minute the the film is cursed sure I was thinking that I was like, holy cow, this has never happened 11 times. And, and, and it really, they were real. It was, you know, it was a real j j jiggle or a real broken leg. <laughs> and so, and you could see it on the producer's face. They, they, they were going white. What's going on? They were yeah. just standing there going, holy cow, this is going to happen for the rest of the shoot. Yeah. 
So on the 11th time, it, the scene went all the way through, Rose Hyper on two, cut. And then there was a silence. And then everybody broke down laughing. There, the crews, the people who were watching, the cameramen, everybody broke down laughing. And I go, oh, it's this time it's me. And now I'm the idiot. I did something idiot. So uh, Chris Columbus comes up to me and he goes, uh, uh, I go, okay. He says, no, I got, I got to show you this. Come to TV Village. And I go, no, no, I don't want to watch me fuck up again. <laughs> Just let's do it again. I'm tired of eating donuts, man. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to watch this. So I go, oh, all right, man. I don't like to watch me being an idiot. Yeah. So I go and he shows him and, and I see the donut drop on the phone. Oh. And I go, oh, man. All right, let's just do it again. He says, no, per- no, no. Perfect. That's going in the movie. <laughs> You're dismissed. Get out of here. Boom. They were so happy. But everybody mentions that scene. And I'm telling you right now. That donut, that piece of donut is more famous than I am. Isn't that something? Because because of this curse. Everybody asked me about that. How did you work that out? Did you plan that? How Was that a CGI? Yeah. How did that get there? That's all they want to know. Happy accident. A happy accident. And I, oh, it was capturing lightning in a bottle. As they right, say. right. And try to do that again, right? If but, but a lot of that stuff happens to me with these small parts. They're mm-hmm. memorable. For some reason, everybody says, yeah, that's one of my favorite. Like I did, you know, Friends, Mr. Heckles. Yes. They, you know, oh, Mr. Heckles. They, you know, I re- it's weird, but uh, I love doing small parts because of that. Yeah. Because you can really like, you know, uh, just uh, go for it. You just, because who cares? No pressure. I mean, no, there's no pressure. And if you fuck up, you, they'll just do it again. It's, yep. uh, you know, it doesn't cost them anything. It's like two minutes. So you, and I always come up with, oh, because I, you know, it's a second city in the committee. I was with all these funny, funny people. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, if you give me something small that I can deal with, you know, I'll come up with something funny. But, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the big parts that you got to get serious about. That's right. Well, I've always found with your work, too, even with the smaller roles and, and even the bigger roles as well, too, you are like a chameleon. You, you really fit in. Uh, seamlessly, you never, yeah. yeah, it's, you have a good knack at that. Um, a what? Like a chameleon. You blend into a the, knack, what, a knack attack. No, you have a knack at it. Like you have a, you have oh, a, a knack. yeah, you have yeah, a, I, I did a, a film short for a friend last night. Um, and I had to play schizophrenic. Okay. I love. Uh, it, it wasn't in the script. I mean, I, I couldn't, I called him, I called it the writer director. I said, you know, there's no there there here. It's just a bunch of words because it's such a small part. It's just, it's just you know, uh, like two hours of shooting. Mm-hmm. I think I had like 15 lines and I was talking to somebody, so it's cool. But it, there was no, it was just like an ordinary homeless guy. Hey, okay. give me some money. Oh, please, can I have some more money? I'm really hungry. Yeah. For 12 lines. And I thought, well... As long as it's a homeless guy, you know, I could be, I could make something out of it. I'll, I'll be schizophrenic. They're, they're schizophrenic. They're, they're all kinds of things, uh, homeless people. So I thought I'll be schizophrenic. I'll just read every line in a different character. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I thought it was clever. Yeah. But, you know, if, if the director said, no, don't do that, right. then I won't do it, you know, but it's fine. But I, so I did it. And he said, no, I said it was 
that okay? He said, no, that's, that's great. And he started pushing me towards, he said, no, that's, yeah, that, that's the point that I'm making is after it was all over and I was going to go home, uh, we were shooting, uh, outside in somebody's driveway and I had ridden my bike there cause it was right around where I was living. Mm-hmm. This is why I, cause, you know, I'll just go out of my house, go down, do a couple of lines, come back, you know? So, uh, but I rode my bike. So my bike was hidden in some place so it wouldn't be robbed. But I didn't know where it was because somebody else took it. Hey, let me hide your bike for you. Mm. Okay, cool. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, so now I'm finished. And there was one actor, young young actor, who was watching me. And when they said, uh, does anybody know where Hankin's bike is? And this actor said, yeah, I do. And I'm finished, so I'll take him. As we're walking, he says... Uh, which relates to what you said. He said, wow, you were, you were really amazing in that thing. I go, in what way was I amazing? Yeah. <laughs> so he goes, well, you were every character. In other words, you know, when you were crazy, you were crazy. And you were really normal and sweet. You were really normal and sweet. Like you were totally believable. Yeah. But from line to line, you know. Now, nobody knew this, but I had done an improv like that 20 years ago in the improv. Uh, in the committee yeah and it ran for like you know six weeks so i had done a um, a schizophrenic for six weeks 20 years ago so that's all i was using but i you know i had it somewhere in me you know memory or whatever uh but it, it agrees to uh, w- what you were saying that somehow i didn't think i was real or not real i was just being schizophrenic but what they were reading was, oh, I was so real in that one, and then that one, and then that one, and that one. Uh, I was just having fun. Yeah. What I, I told the kid, I said, you know, well, what was your preparation? I said, have fun. It's only 12 lines, you know. He, what is he going to do, fire me? Exactly, exactly. You know, he wanted me in. He called me. It's a friend of mine. He knows what I do. Mm-hmm. There's no pressure. <laughs> Uh, you know, if it was John Houston directing me, I, I would have never even suggested I do a schizophrenic. Right, I right. Ask first, you know, and then I would have talked to him about it. Yeah. So you know, you, I tell you know, it just depends what the where you are, who you're with, mm-hmm. what's going on. But right now, I mean, I remember when I was young. But right now, I just want to have fun with the chops that I've developed over you know thirty years of acting. That's right. You know, yeah, finally have fun with it. You, you know, like, but you're serious. You know, here in Canada we say throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Well, you're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall over the years, and you're seeing what sticks. And- I think most of the stars, because I was the kid had said, "Oh, that's like," and uh, who is it? Uh, some some famous actor he had acted with and asked the same question, and he said, uh, he, "He said, oh, how? Oh, the the actor, the star, had just been given a speech, and right before going in front of the camera." And this young kid was watching him. He took the speech on the page, the page, and he just read it like, you know, like three times. Okay, cool. All right, let's go. And he went into the scene and did it. Boom. Uh, And he said, that was so amazing. So he went up to the star and he said, how did you do that, man? You know, like absorb those lines so quickly. I mean, five minutes, he read it three times and you had it down. And uh, this star said, well, you know, um, if you've been acting as long as I have, 
He said, what you do is you have fun and you base your character on 40 years of doing it, you know, seriously. Okay. So have fun, but get the 40 years. Yes. Yes. That's good advice. <laughs> good advice. Yeah. I mean, it sounds right to me. I like it. I like it. We got about 10 minutes left here and I've got about four questions left. We're going to actually, we got about two or three questions and we're going to do our four audio questions that we have from our members. Um, this is someone reminded us about this. Who reminded us about this? Uh, Zoko wanted me to ask this. We do this. Tom Schnauz, do you, uh, do you, you know, probably know Tom from working on Breaking Bad. Uh, Tom's one of the writers and he was actually the co-host here for about 10 episodes. He's coming back. He's written some great episodes in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Um, he started this thing. So Gilliverse, this Gilliverse thing that we talk about is this imaginary place where it contains everything that Vince Gilligan has done as far as Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul, right? So it's a place in space. We take off every Friday night, we go to this place in space, and it has a distinct smell. Now, there is a right answer, and we always like to ask our, our guests what it smells like in the Gilliverse. So it smells like this and this. What would be your guess if we go there right now? What does it smell like in the Gilliverse? Two things. Wow. Um, I would say um, uh, gunpowder and watermelon. That's good. Gunpowder comes up a lot. What it actually is, is bacon and fear. Oh, well, it's the same thing. There you go. <laughs> watermelon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bacon powder. fear. Yeah. But guns, mm-hmm. gun smoke, gunpowder, that but comes that, up a lot. That, that, that's a good, those are good smells the, for, for the, Gilli- the Gilliverse. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Bacon. Uh, and fear. And fear. You know, maybe, maybe it's a, smell, when you're sweating, you stink, you know, that fear. I, I've smelled that fear on me in my youth. Yep. It's sweat. It's sweat, but yep. it's a different kind of sweat. Like a skunk. It's bad. Yep. It, well, it's pungent. I yes. I, uh, I guess it's, uh, no, I didn't smell like a skunk, but I smelled bad. Yeah. It's, your fear has a smell. It does have a smell. Yes, it, uh, it's a smell of fear. That's right. I, I know the that's right. Okay, we're going to jump over to two other questions and jumping into our audio. First of all, a couple of super chats came in as well, too. Thomas Maynard sent a super chat and a super chat from That Came With Pickles. Any story behind Alan West's name change and escape from Alcatraz? Alan West? Who's yeah. That? I'm not sure. Story behind Alan West's name change and escape from Alcatraz. I don't know an Alan West from Escape from Alcatraz. Okay, well, I'm not sure on that one either. Uh, So here's a question from Cinema Dave. How would you compare, you're talking about uh, working with Vince Gilligan, and every director has their own thing and uh, their own own specialties, but he's saying, how would you compare directors Dan Siegel with Vince Gilligan? Dan Siegel? You mean, you mean, uh, uh, the guy who who directed... uh, Escape from Alcatraz? I believe so. Uh, that's not, uh, it's uh, something Siegel. I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah. the, the director, um, um, Vince Gilligan is your friend mm-hmm. as a director to an actor. He comes at you as, as, a, as a friend, like uh, your friend called you and said, would you be in my movie? So he's going, and for me, because I was so curious, I never went to my dressing room on both uh, Escape from Alcatraz and um, e- even uh, Breaking Bad and the movie, mm-hmm. uh, El Camino. I never went into my dressing room ever for those mm-hmm. two movies. I always was on set. And both the directors noted that. Noted that. 
Uh, and the difference was that Vince was my friend, like he would say, uh, I would ask him questions. I would ask both directors questions like, why, why do you put the camera here? Or what are you going for? Or how is that? You know, and Vince recognized that as my interest in maybe directing. And so he would say, do we, would you like to see my shot list? Or would you like to see my, um, what do you, what do you call it? The cartoons that they draw? Like an animatic or a storyboard? The, the storyboard. Mm -hmm. Would you like to see my storyboard? Would you like to see my shot list? And I'd say, yeah. Sure. He called his assistant over and he said, show Larry uh, my shot list or show Larry my a storyboard book. And I, and I would get to look through his, his writings. I mean, his, uh, so his storyboard was so, it was a thick, uh, you know, loose leaf binder mm -hmm. book. And it was about, I don't know, 90 pages. And I would go through it and, and his, he would have the camera and where it was put. I mean, the it was like a genius. I mean, he, he was really into it. The And measurements and stuff, it's amazing. Whereas Don Siegel, Don Siegel. Mm. Is yes. Whereas Don Siegel came at me as my friend, but he would always just put me on. He would, you know, he would, he would treat me like his grandson, his grandson. Okay. He was like a grandfather. And he would say, uh, uh, hey, Larry, you know, I, I would say, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, I, I don't know. I think I'm going to be fired. We're going to find out. <laughs> I mean, he would be always doing something like that. Larry, because I was always in costume because I was on there for three months. Yeah. So yeah, even if I wasn't in. You know, so I'd be on set in costume and he'd go, hey, Larry, get in that cell. Get, get in that cell. Why? I need a body in there. Uh, you know, it was not. OK, so you know, what, what do you want me to do? I don't care what you do. Get it, get it. I'm doing a close up of the star, you know, of uh, McGowan and, uh, and Clint. And there's a hole in the middle of the thing. And we're shooting into a cell. I want somebody in the cell. I want a body in the cell. Get in there. So I'd get in there and I'd say, how, how long do you have to, am I taking too long or? No, you're good. I, we're good. Okay. So he said, he says, uh, how long do I say, yes. I said, how long do I have before you have to shoot me in there? He said, four minutes, they're setting the lights up. I go, I run to uh, the um, prop department, which was on Alcatraz. I mm -hmm. mean, they had shipped a prop table and stuff. And I run in, I said, you got a chessboard? What do you want a chessboard for? And I said, uh, I, I got to be in a cell and I want to be doing something. So I want to be playing, ch uh, uh, no, checkers. Checkers. I want to be playing checkers. And he said, we don't have a checkerboard. I said, well, what do you do? Well, we have a chessboard and uh, we have a chess set. Okay, give me the chess set. Give me the chess set. Boom. And um, which is really cool because uh, in a lot of ways, first, they had a chessboard. And second, I could run up to him and I didn't have to identify who I was. The prop department knew I was Charlie Butts. Right. I, you know, that's amazing to be an actor for the first time to be known in your character. Yes. You know, what are you doing? That, that would be the, you know, <laughs> if I said, give me a chessboard or a checkerboard. Or who are you? What part do you play? Yep. He didn't ask that. He said, what do you want? Boom. So I, Quickly run back, go in, set up the chessboard, set all the men up. Okay, the two stars get in there. They're like that. And Don Siegel says, okay, and action, and blah, 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 blah. Cut. All right, Larry, come here. He's always calling me Larry, and then he would put me on. I knew every time this is going to be bad. I know this is going to be – Larry, come here. So he calls me over, and he says, what the hell are you doing in there? I go, uh, I'm, I'm playing checkers. 
No, you're not. You're che- you got a chessboard in there. Yeah, I know. But Charlie Butts doesn't know how to play a, cha- a chess, but this Alcatraz department, gaming department, doesn't have any checkerboards. They have chessboards. So Charlie is playing checkers with his chessboard. The only thing that he could get. But I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do anything. I'll just sit there. No, 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 Larry. You keep with doing what, you, what you're doing. I just wanted to know what the hell you were doing in there. <laughs> Go back there. All right, okay, Clint, we're going. Come on, let's do it. He was always like something important, and then he would say it was nothing. You know, he'd say, uh, I, I need you to cry. I don't know if I could cry. You've got to cry, Larry. This is a scene where you're left behind, and you've got to cry. So he, I said, well, I don't think I can cry. I'm not an actor. I'm a comedian. He said, well, you better get in your, your dressing room and slap yourself silly until you can cry, because this is an important scene. And I said, how long do I have? He says, you have an hour and a half. And I said, okay. And I go into my dressing room. I can't cry. So I'm slapping myself. Mm-hmm. And then finally he says, you're up, man. I go in and uh, he's, he says, you're ready to cry, Larry? And I go, yeah, because I never cop to anything I can't do. Sure. <laughs> never. Yep. So he goes, are you ready to cry? And I go, yeah. And I know I can't cry. He sits me down and then he gets the camera right up. If you look at that scene, the camera is this far away from my face, this far away from my face. Yep. He says, okay, get ready, Larry, to cry. And and everybody's standing around now because he's made an announcement. Larry's going to cry. So they're all gathered around. And he goes, okay, and action, Larry, cry. And I'm going, nothing. It's not happening. He says, cut. Okay, Jerry, bring it in. What? And Jerry comes in with this little perfume bottle. You know that grandmas used to use with the little bulb at the yep, end? Yep, yep. Well, yep. he comes on in with this grandma squeeze thing, and he sticks it in between the camera and me, right in there, and he just goes psh, psh, with this liquid, and it just whiffs by me, Yeah, you know? And, and then Don Siegel says, okay, everybody, everybody ready, uh, camera, you know, rolling, and all of a sudden, my eyes start to tear up, and I go, and I'm crying like crazy. And he says, cut, Larry, that was brilliant. And I said, what was in there? He says, wintergreen, it makes people cry. We use it in all the crying scenes in movies. Oh, wow. He knew that when he told me, I got to cry. You got to cry, Larry. In other words, that's the difference. Yeah. Vince never do that. That's hilarious. That's all Don Siegel did with me is he put me on day after day after day. But he got a great performance out of me. That's one of my favorite performances. Is, well, it's fantastic. And he had a little bit of fun with you, too. Relaxed, man. Yeah. I was so re- relaxed. I was the guy. Well, and- I pretended that, you know, I was, I, I was, um, I, I kept on, when I took Vince, Gil, when I took Don Siegel seriously before I realized, oh, my, he's putting me on. Okay. Uh, I thought, oh, I'm in the barrel. You know, everybody, and when other people started to see me, him kidding me, putting me on, they started to put me on. That I didn't like. Mm -hmm. So I I said to myself, I got to get out of the barrel. I mean, now everybody is starting to do it, and I'll take it from him, but Mm -hmm. not from the So uh, I I did something to to, uh, stop it. I don't know what what the hell I did. It's a long story. 
It's beautiful. No, it's a beautiful share, though, for sure. Differences. One puts me on. One was my friend. There you go. There you go. Last question coming in from the chat there. I got to get through four audio questions as quickly as possible. This is from Robin Salazar. Uh, says, how was it working on set with Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda? Uh, yours, mine, and it was, ours. It was, uh, it was not good. Henry Fonda was afraid of Lucille Ball. And all he did, never spoke. Oh. I was there all day. He never spoke. Every time there was a cut, he would just move to the wall and just stand there. Really? Was ready. And then they would say, ready for you, Mr. Fonda. And he would go into the scene. She was um, not a nice lady. Oh. <laughs> to say it nicely. Okay. Uh, what she did was, uh, she said to me, because you couldn't get near her. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't get near either one of them. What happens is every time the director said cut, uh, th- four women would gather around her. One would start doing her hair. One would fix her lips and the other would fix her makeup and the other would start doing her costume and they would be around her and you couldn't get in. And she just stood there, you know, being done. Yeah. And then one time during the day, she, cause I was bagging the groceries. So that was the scene I was in. So she called me, she lifted her head above the four ladies and she said, uh, a bag boy, you. He was talking to me. Mm-hmm. Bag boy, you. I go, yeah, come here. And she would call me over there and she said to me, you're a, a very fine actor, but if you stand in my light one more time, you're not going to be around here for long. Wow. That was it. So that's Henry Fonda. That's Lucille Ball. Okay. I was in a baseball game with Lucille Ball yeah. uh, for the uh, show league, the Broadway show league. She happened to be on Broadway and I happened to be on Broadway and the committee thing. So we played in the league and I played on her team. And when she got up to bat, man, the words that came out of her mouth was like a Taiwanese sailor. Yeah. She had this, uh, this laugh, this, this look this, I don't know, this liquor laugh. <laughs> It came from her bowels. I mean, it was a great laugh. Yeah. I'm not saying it was bad. It was like she really thought something was funny. She gave it to you, the laugh. But she cursed like a sailor, man. Isn't that something? I, I would have oh, never known. Was, you, you, don't get, you, you don't want to get on the wrong side of Lucille Ball. I can imagine. I can imagine. I know my mom loved her very much. So we had a super chat come in from Andrea, and we're going to take it off with, uh, the, we're going to start with her question. This is an audio question. Andrea is from Germany. So thank you, Andrea, on that. So here's her, I think her question is more of a comment. So I'm going to play it for you, okay? Okay. Hello, Larry. It's Andrea. I don't have much time to tell you everything I wanted to. I can't list all the great roles you've had and all the happy moments you've given to your fans, but I bet you could. I simply thank you from me and on behalf of your fans all over the world. You always give the little things that special something and I'm excited for May 27. Big greetings from Germany. Oh. May 27th? May 20th, that's a friends thing. That's a friends reunion. Right. Right. Yeah, I saw, saw that on Instagram oh, post. Heckles will be on there, but only for two seconds. Yeah. He comes on, says two words. And go. Oh, I think it says a sentence and then he's off. It's like... <laughs> So don't go to the bathroom because yes. you're going to miss me. Don't blink. Don't blink. That's right. Don't blink. Right. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and the real LarryHankin.com. That's where you get those. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. We've got links all the uh, Larry Hankin. Not Larry Hankin because somebody stole that and holding it for ransom. Oh, Cyber Squatters. Cyber Squatters. Here's a comment from Josh Gordon. We've got two more after Josh's and we'll say goodnight to everybody. Here's from Josh. 
Hey Larry, this is Josh here. First off, I love the fact that you keep popping up and all these shows and movies I love. One of which is Seinfeld, and you're probably in one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, and there's a lot, and that being the pilot, where you played Seinfeld pilot version of Kramer, which to me it was one of the most bizarre episodes ever because everyone is kind of playing a doppelganger of someone else. You're playing a doppelganger of the Michael Richards Kramer, although I love the plot one, how you two don't really get along, and Michael Richards, for the whole run of Seinfeld, plays the doppelganger of the real-life Kenny Kramer, who his character is based upon. So I just, I'm curious, what was your experience like filming that episode? Thanks a lot, man. It was it was uh, great. I mean, they're all funny people. Uh, I really liked hanging around with them. I mean, I mean they would huddle up. In uh, in episodics where you're on for a couple of years, the stars are, are always uh, when they say cut, they they like huddle up, they all talk together. You, you can't. It's very hard to get in to the you know because they know each other for years. Uh, but um, you know the the secret to that character was one. It was written very well, and uh, Larry David is a great writer. He's a great director too. Uh, and he came up to me one time uh, and said to me, he gave me a great direction, one of the greatest directions I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Larry David said to me, I was doing Kramer, and he came up to me. He was always going up to all his stars and giving them little hints. So, you know, he'd go, ah, he wouldn't know what they would say. And then they would do the scene again, and they would be funnier. So I wanted to, Larry to whisper something to me to make me funnier. <laughs> and finally, one day... He did. He came up to me, said, "Cut! I want to talk to Larry." Talks, bring it aside, and he says, "I know what you're trying to do, Larry." And I got really angry because the word "trying," mm. you know, it's trying. You know, I either I'm doing it or I'm not. Right. I'm just trying. So I got really. So I have an attitude problem to begin with, and so I just gave it back to him. I thought he was giving me attitude, which he was. Yeah. You know, you know what you're trying. To do. So I said, "Oh, really? What am I trying to do?" And he said. You're trying to do nothing, which is exactly what I was trying to do. He pinned me exactly. And I was so amazed that he was so sharp at that, that he go that I went, oh, wow. I mean, I totally blew my anger. Wow, that's really, that's right. Yeah, I am trying to do nothing. And he goes, well, you're doing something. And he walked away. And I thought, that's a director. That's fantastic. That's That's a piece of direction you can work with. Yep. You're doing something, doing nothing. That's fantastic. He challenged me and he didn't give me a direction. He just said what I was doing that was not what was wanted. So he, I had to, you know, he gave me the whole world to take. Okay. You're, you're, you're doing something, you know, just do nothing. (laughs) That was really great. And I really liked, he was a great guy. That's awesome. He's crazy. He has OCD. Yeah. I don't think it could stay in a room too long with him. Yeah. A little limited, limited doses. You know, because he'll stop fixing your tie or something. I mean, he's just OCD. Yeah. He's got control over everything. <laughs> but on the set, he knows what he's doing, man. I mean, he's a funny guy. Apparently, I mean, he so. knows what's funny. I don't know if he's a funny guy. But he knows funny. He knows funny. 
Yeah, and knows how to get it out of people. Got yeah. two last audio questions coming in from Lori and from Karina. But before we do that, I see a birthday in the house. Uh, it's also on the 27th. So a special day for you, a special day for one of our regular viewers and friends here, Zoko Santos. I think we could get a happy birthday from you from for Zoko Santos. Uh, happy birthday to Z- Zoko Santos. Is that his name? That's it. Zoko. Zokos. There you go. Happy birthday. Rock on, (laughs) Rock and roll. Our two last audio questions. And for those of you that would like to send in audio questions like this, you just have to join and become a member. I believe Sandra Lee, Nocturnal Butterfly, has posted the link, but there's a little join button down below. Become a member of the channel. You can send in voicemail for the next guest. So here's our question from Lori, and we'll wrap up with Karina. Hey there, Larry. This is Lori. It's great to have you here tonight. Which means the most to you? Getting co-star billing for Escape from Alcatraz getting an Oscar nomination for Sally's Diner, or painting? Thanks very much. Take care. Good question. Wow. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough one because I can't choose between. <laughs> uh, the, the, those three are the, the, my favorite things I've ever done. I, I mean, I love my part in Escape from Alcatraz, and it's also a really good movie. But I like the work that I did. Uh, uh, in, in Escape from Alcatraz. I love painting because it's color. It's not words. I love color. So I can spend hours just on a painting just because of the color. And um, what was the other one? The third one was... Uh, the award? Uh, oh, my... Oh, oh, the uh, For Solly's Diner. Yes. Uh, and I just love the fact that uh, everybody said that nobody wants to see a homeless person uh, and don't do it, and it's not good. And I got an Academy Award nomination. So, for all you people, <laughs> I love it. All right, here so, is. By the way, just let me add that. Add that to, to you and everybody else. Anybody tells you you can't do something, go do it. Exactly. Very well said. The best advice of the entire evening, and that applies to anything. And our very last audio question for the evening. This is from Karina. Uh, here she is. Hi, Larry. This is Karina. I want to ask about your experience working with Bill Hader on his show, Barry. Sounds like they really collaborated with you and allowed you to give your input into this Russian hitman character that ended up being a real scene stealer, which you were brilliant at. Thank you. Um, Yeah, that was, it was great. He was another one of the, he's going to be a great director. He's something else. Uh, Triple threat. So, uh, what happened was I got, uh, you know, I, w- I wanted to work for him. I wanted to be in Barry. I wanted to be directed by him. I wanted to meet him. So uh, I was stoked and I got the part and it's a hitman and no instructions. Just here's your, here's the pages. And so I studied it and I really wanted to do good for, for, um, uh, um, for Barry. I just want to do, I, I never, want to do great or good i just you know wanted to want to be good i want to be professional i want to do my, my best but i was driven uh, on that one i was like i got to Im- impress jeez uh, uh, i forgot his name now that's crazy well uh, uh i don't know anyway so i got on on set and uh, he doesn't direct either the good directors do not direct except you know i you're doing something mm-hmm. that that was brilliant uh, he never said anything to me the whole day. I was there for the whole day. And he did a lot of coverage on the scene, on, on, on me. 
And afterwards, I was getting really uh, worried because he never spoke to me. And I was trying to do a good hitman, and I, I needed feedback. That was the only time, really, that I can remember that I wanted feedback from a director. You know, if they didn't say anything to me, I figured, well, okay, you know, I did my job. They weren't impressed. I'm going home. But this, I, I wanted feedback, and he didn't say a word ever. So finally, when I was dismissed, I went up to him and I said, um, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah, yeah, sure. What? I go, you never spoke to me. You never gave me any direction. And um, I, I, I thought I really needed it. And uh, I was just wondering why that was. And he said, well, truthfully, Larry, me and my partner, and his partner was there. He's on the set with his partner, his writing partner all the time. He said, me and my partner didn't write it the way you're doing it. We wrote it a whole different way. And we didn't know what you were doing, but it was working so well, we didn't dare stop you or interrupt anything you were doing. So we just they kept on backing away. Sure. Which I thought was a great compliment, man. But, you know, while I'm doing it, I was just like, Fear, you know. Yes, and you could, and we can smell that fear. Why is he talking to me? I must be doing something bad or something, you know. Meanwhile, Uh, it was beautiful. Great relief. (laughs) No, we just didn't want to go near you. Yeah, it's everything's working. Don't they wrote it as a comedy? They wrote the scene, and I was doing it as like really serious because I actually I wanted to jump at the fact that here was something really serious that I'm never handed. You know, everybody wants me to be kind of funny. Yeah. And well, I can sink my teeth into this one, you know, as long as he's going to guide me. And then he wasn't guiding. No, and you just went off. But it was it was a good job. I mean, I watched it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I I thought I I I did what I wanted to do, you know. But the fact that he said that they they didn't write it that way kind of. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like, okay, what do they do wrong? That's why you get good actors. I mean, John Huston told me that. Mm -hmm. I did. uh Annie with him. And he said, you know, 80% of directing is, you know, casting the right people. I agree on that. You know, so. Yeah. And look at the people, look at the casting directors we have in Breaking Bad. Agreed. There's a nice compliment from the plain cheeseburger that came with pickles. Uh, gave us some nice compliments on the show and says, wonder if he has any behind the scenes info on Adam Sandler from Billy Madison. I loved, I loved your role in that. Was there any fun stories uh, behind the scenes? We'll wrap up with that. With uh, Adam- One funny story from Adam Sandler. He's a prankster and I don't like pranksters. Uh-oh. And as opposed to putting me on. Don Siegel put me on. Mm-hmm. So he pulled pranks. Like I have a six o'clock call. On, on Adam's movie. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, he would, I would get a phone call. You know, I'm in a, a hotel. I get a phone call at four in the morning. Hi, Larry. And it's one of his girlfriends. Not his girlfriend, a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Hi, Larry. Can I come up to, to see you right now? And then I would hear him laughing in the background. I said, tell, tell Adam to go F himself. I actually used the word. Okay. I tell Adam to, and I didn't get along with him at all after that. I mean, you know, uh, he he pulled another prank that I didn't think was that funny either. Like the, that laugh that I do when he was introducing me to his girlfriend, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to do it. And I told him I didn't want to do it. He said, I hear you do a funny laugh. And I, I said, I do, but I don't do it anymore because I did it in high school. It's a kid. It's a childish thing. Oh, and, and he goes, no, I think I hear it's funny. I don't know where he heard that. I mean, I did it when I was in high school. Yeah. So I don't know where he found that out. But he said, uh, 
uh, why don't you do it? I said, no. And he was interrupting my lunch. So I said, if you, if I do it for you, will you leave me alone so I can eat my lunch? I mean, I, ha- I had it with him. Yeah. By then. Uh, so uh, he said, okay. So I did. I said, I did it. I, and I did the whole thing. In the movie, I didn't do the whole thing because it's really stupid and I just won't do it. But I did half of it because in the middle of the I said I wouldn't do it. He said, do it in the scene. I said, I'm not going to do it. He said, okay. Okay, fine. So in the middle of the scene, he just ad-libbed. He said, hey, uh, uh, Carl. Hey, Carl, uh, why don't you do that laugh for Adele or whatever his name was? Why don't you do that uh, that laugh? And I knew the camera was running and I was on the spot and I didn't, you know, it's not my movie. It's his movie. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do it once, you know, but I'm not doing a second take on uh, this. But I was just fl- flummoxed. I was flustered. I didn't know what to do. So I did it. Yeah. I did half of it. I did a ha ha ha. Whatever you see, it's <laughs> half of what it really was. And everybody talks about that. That's like the donut on the phone. Exactly. Hey, hey do that laugh for us, Larry. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah. So I don't like Adam. Now, I got to say this about Adam. He's a very fine actor. Have you seen uh, uh, Uncut Gems? Gems? Oh, geez. Fantastic. I, I got to give it to him. He's a good actor. Mm hmm. I just wouldn't act with him. No, but he, but and he's a, must be a great guy to be friends with because mm-hmm. he uses all his friends. There's nobody in any of his movies that's not his friends that are the extras. He'll get a star and all his friends. But I, I'll take a pass. There you and go. He's king of Hollywood. He can get any movie made he wants. Anything. Yeah. He's he's the funniest. He's not the funniest, but he is the funny man in Hollywood. Yeah, he doesn't get told no very often when an idea is pitched. Apatow is the funny man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, this has been fantastic. The fans got some bonus time this evening, which is great because it's nice. They waited a little longer to see you anyways because we didn't have uh, the connection there a couple of weeks back. But Larry, I want to thank you. It's been a fantastic way to kick off the weekend, a long weekend here uh, in Canada, which is great. So thank you so very much for your time and your stories. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I just had a ball. I never talked about this stuff. Anymore. Awesome. <laughs> So it's fine. Well, that's thank good. You. Oh, my I pleasure. I want to say thank you to some other people here as well, too. Uh, we couldn't do this show without these great people, especially my better half, Sandra Lee. She's our executive producer of the show. So thank you to Sandra. And uh, sadly, Sandra and I, we have to be moving here soon. So we're going to be moving the studio and the house uh, and all that. We're not moving the house. We're just moving out of the house. So there's a support link. You can help us with that as well, too, in the chat. That helps greatly. We want to thank our show sponsors, Warren and Rachel at bobbleheads.com. We'd also like to thank all of our channel members, our Patreon supporters, our channel moderators, our YouTube subscribers, Super Chatters, our PayPal donators, and people that buy our merchandise like you're seeing me wear right now at our Broadstash Boutique. And uh, if this is your first time checking out our channel here, please consider hitting that subscribe button down below. We will work just as hard to keep you as a subscriber as we did to get you. Uh, tune in next Friday. We, Larry, you and I talked about editing and how important the editing role is. Uh, coming over from Better Call Saul, we've got award-winning editor Chris McCaleb. He'll be joining us at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. He's got some great uh, 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 editing behind his, uh, great episodes behind uh, uh, his name. And uh, if you're looking to see us on the social media, sometimes we need that unplug. But anyways, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, follow us at Inside the Gilliverse. And uh, Larry, don't go away. I'll say goodbye to you out there. Everyone have a fantastic and safe weekend. We'll look forward to seeing you right here next week, uh, next Friday on Inside the Gilliverse. And until then, cheers. Thanks.
Thanks again for tuning in to Inside the Gilliverse with Eric Broadbent. Be sure to check back each week for more great discussions and interviews with cast and crew from Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul.